I'm Mel Stewart, and this is the Swim Swam Podcast, brought to you by our friends at Speedo. Today, we're going to have a great conversation. Today, we're going to talk to swimming leadership. Today, we're going to talk to somebody who has deep, deep swimming roots, Executive Director of Diversity and Aquatics, Dr. Miriam Lynch. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Hi, everybody. chance if you're driving don't do this but press pause go to diversityandaquatics.org diversityandaquatics.org check out the website um you know get down on the mission statement and you know pop over to the donate button because we always like that but uh, diversityandaquatics.org thanks for being here thanks for having me here today it is just a an awesome chance to get to speak about things that i love and with somebody that I've greatly admired in this space. Oh, you're very nice. So I, I appreciate that. And I, I have to do, I'm going to brag on you a little bit. I have to do this. I have to show how strong your, how strong your swimming roots are. Uh, here's some highlights. If I get something wrong, you're going to have to jump in and, and correct me. But let, let's just, let's, this, is what, this is what I picked up. Early in your career, you swam with Hall of Famer Jim Ellis. Um, I, oh, I did. No, I, I did. Just started. I started. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Well, I just just something to tell you as a quick story about my uh, growing up with Jim Ellis is that, I mean, what a fortunate thing to have right within your swimming career to be there amongst Jim Ellis um, and all the swimmers and what he was doing in Philadelphia. Um, and I was there in the early 90s. Uh, my parents military background. We lived in Germany for seven years. As a matter of fact, at one point I, I spoke German fluently. Can't do it now. Don't ask me. <laughs> um, but uh, every summer I would come visit my grandmother in Philadelphia. And uh, I had a chance during those summers to swim with Jim Ellis. And so, of course, getting a chance to swim with him, Hall of Famer, and then also a number of great coaches, uh, not only just Jim, but who I grew up with at Nation's Capital uh, is Pete Morgan. So uh, a lot of what I've learned, I've been a student of the sport because of those two amazing individuals, along with a lot of other people. You've, you've had some great coaches in your life and Nation's Capital. I mean, this is a, a powerhouse. This is everyone knows Nation's Cap. Um you took that and you earned a scholarship at Howard University. And over your career, you have six individual records, um, three relay records. And uh, apparently at that time was the most ever in Howard's history, which is, wow, kudos to you. And um, it, according to my research, you still have the 1650 record at Howard. Is that correct? I wish I did. No, actually, I'm proud to say uh, that I saw my record being broken. Um, Alana Josie, big shout out to her. Um, her freshman year came in and broke that record, and I coached her through it along with Coach Nick and Coach Salim. Um, and it was amazing to see. Matter of fact, there's this awesome picture of us just right after she broke it. Uh, she was working so hard for it all year, and to be able to be a mentor for her and just to see her growth into breaking it uh, had was just a, a moment that it was just the the teacher and the student right and uh so powerful and i 
it was great to see. Not a lot of people get to see the person or coach the person who breaks their record. And I got to see that happen after several years. We won't put numbers on the number of years, but after several years. I think I think you should share how many years. <laughs> it's almost 20. It's almost 20, 20 years. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a big flex. 20 years. You had the record for 20 years. Um I didn't know this. Uh, I was I was just prepping for this conversation. I read that and I was like, I like Dr. M. Dr. M is is a distance swimmer, yes. and, and a lot of people who listen to us know that. I don't. I'm I'm I, I admit it. I'm not. I I have this thing against sprinters, but uh, yeah, good for you. I like that. Hey, when you grow up under people like Pete Morgan. <laughs> swimming at nation's capital or a Jim Ellis. Um, you have to have that repertoire in your swimming. So shout out to them um, and putting that and having that as a foundation for me to be able to do that. Well, that's, I mean, that's career. And a lot of athletes have, you know, their, their swim career. And then oftentimes they, you know, they just, they, they step away because they they're just so chlorinated. They have to get away from the pool. You, you've stayed engaged and active, and I'm, I'm going to go through this, and I, and I actually pulled it out so I could read it. At USA Swimming, you've been a board member of their diversity, uh, National Diversity Committee and the Eastern Zone and Potomac Valley Swimming Diversity and Inclusion Chair to create programs with USA Swimming's core objectives to build the base and promote the sport. That's um, it's a lot of leadership. That's uh, I'm, I imagine you brought a lot of expertise, and you probably learned a lot on the way. Absolutely. Um, you know, the person who got me into uh, this field, uh, Arthur Lopez, he was one of our first board members, a part of diversity and aquatics. And uh, just to kind of give a brief story, I didn't actually go directly into swimming. I was a consultant. I was an IT architecture consultant um, for a small firm in Chicago called um, Diamond Cluster uh, and uh, had the fortunate opportunity to learn the business um, from them. But it just, you know, as all of us in, in this sport, and when we come back to the sport, it just, it was learning experience, but something was calling me to something different. Um, I had a chance uh, to come back home, take a break. And that's when a principal approached me and said, hey, I think you'd be great in this education field. And also Pete Morgan approached me and said, hey, I'm looking for an age group coach. <laughs> Would you mind working with our 10 and unders? And, uh, you know, uh, Kim Spina, uh, who I grew up, my our family grew up with uh, the Spina family, uh, took me under her wing. I learned the basics from them and just told that job because the market was going down. Hey, I like to see the sun rise and I like to see the sun fall, uh, the, um, the sunset. And it was just, uh, and I wanted to do swimming. Uh, that job didn't allow me to do that, but swimming, uh, it fulfilled me to be in that space and to have the support I had in that network with, uh, the tutelage and to be able to learn on deck right next to these, um, these two amazing individuals and then being able to call up people like Tommy Jackson, who was in Atlanta. And he was like, come on down to deck and come swim a few things here was amazing opportunity to make that pivot back into the sport. So I traditionally didn't, I didn't, after I graduated, I went to Chicago, but then I eventually came back home and went into swimming and where I am today and um, into this DEI space, all because of those different individuals. We forgive you for taking a break from swimming. It's okay. 
But it, you have to. Everyone has to take a little bit of break because it's it's a tough sport. It's it's a big challenge. Executive director, diversity and aquatics. So get get me into it. How did diversity and aquatics start? And you know what's your mission? Yeah, actually, I learned about diversity and aquatics from going to uh, USA Swimming at the time. Uh, was hosting its second ever DEI forum at the U.S. Olympic Training Center, and. Uh, I was part of a delegation from Potomac Valley Swimming. It was a couple of us who went uh, to represent. And that's when I met uh, Dr. Sean Anderson, um, who was who is the founder of Diversity in Aquatics. And what Diversity in Aquatics was at the time was a network of people who were coming from different aquatic spaces, um, all with the same mission is to create a network to help save lives. And that's still our tagline to this today. Um, of course, we've grown quite a bit, but that's what the start of diversity in aquatics was that network where I could connect to somebody who lived out in California or somebody who lived in Georgia, Maine, et cetera, and have a place where we could all come together to learn about um, our stories, but also to connect and learn more about aquatics in general. I was meeting people who were scuba divers, who were triathletes, and all of us had, there are so many different ways that we came into aquatics. It was such a, a great space to be felt seen and to share. Um, a matter of fact, even further into diversity in aquatics and how I got involved was there was a drowning here in D.C., and uh, much credit for DC Parks and Rec, and who was the, the director at the time, uh, he was like, we need to do something. We cannot let this happen and not do something back into the community. And through it was through diversity in aquatics, I linked up with a triathlon group, the Metro Harbor Police, and we put on a water safety event. It's, it's this is a... This is, this is hard. It's, 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 it's work. It's work, work. It's, you know, it's, I can feel your passion and I can feel, um, I can sense from you that this is something that you, that you, you love, but let me just let our, our, our listeners know a little bit about your success at diversity and aquatics. Um, I just, I wanted to make sure we, we, we got this in under your leadership, diversity and aquatics has increased membership as well as become a top national level organization, part of USA National Water Safety Action Plan and the Aquatics Coalition. With over 2,500 mem members worldwide, Diversity in Aquatics is a membership-driven organization whose aim is to empower individuals and organizations to create real systematic change in their communities in partnership with the International Water Safety Foundation. Diversity in Aquatics has reached over 1 million families with water safety, messaging, and resources. Nice. <laughs> Yes. You yes. got to feel that's a big number. That's a, that's a big metric. You got to feel good about that. I it's uh, I have to pinch myself every time, but I, I don't do it alone in this space. It's it's like it says we are truly a membership driven. I'm a product of being a member and driving change I wanted to see in my community. And that is the power of what diversity in aquatics is, is that everybody can be involved in that space. Everybody can be seen and everybody can be celebrated here. We aren't a statistics. We are a piece of the movement, I would say. And so, uh, Yes, it is. It is such an honor uh, to be as a 
front lead, but I don't do it alone. Um, and we couldn't make those marks without the people, those membership numbers that you just described that help us to, to push forward. And the water safety mission is, um, it's, it's, it never stops. It's dire. So I'm going to drop some stats on you. Uh, one in four children, uh, it's the leading cause of death between kids, uh, between, between the ages of one and four in the United States. 64% of black children can't swim. 45% of his, Hispanic children can't swim. 40% of white children can't swim. Um, these numbers are, are, are daunting. They're, they're shocking to some people. And uh, it is, it's every time I see them, I'm, uh, you know, it sort of hits you in the chest. And, uh, and yes. you don't go back to it unless you, you hear about a drowning. And it seems like we always are, but it's, uh, is, is this, are there any other metrics that I, that I've missed that, that might be meaningful to our listeners? Yeah. I mean, I think one thing is for us is what we've said is that these metrics are one piece of the story. Okay. Uh, this isn't the whole story of us in aquatics, meaning communities that are highly effective, highly at, uh, uh, at risk. Um, we, what for us at Diversity in Aquatics, we say historically marginalized, meaning that there's an emphasis on the history that has led to these disparities. And also what we say is as well is that the statistics that you see also mirror in other places. When we're talking about leadership in aquatics, um, when we're talking about ownership and um, even what we talk about, even Howard University being the one left HBCU swim and dive division one team in this space is that these statistics are just one part. It's not the whole story. Um, and that this creates a ripple effect on other spaces. But not only is it not only the story in those statistics, but it's not the story in the celebrations that can be had and the things that are the forward movement, people who are doing the work on the grassroots level and even on the national level to make that change. The HB, HB the um, historically black college and universities, the, it, it's, um, I, I've read some tough statistics, but it's, and, and I know that at, at Howard at one point was, was you know it's a leader, but it, the, the university was was suffering, and Nicholas Askew came back in, and he really he's he's done some great work there. It's uh, in, in terms of in terms of history, uh, there are a lot of educated people in the sport that go to great schools. But what's amazing is that they don't know the history. They don't know. I grew up in North Carolina. I know the history. I, I know that we used to have a whole lot of pools and I know that when they became, when they had to become, you know, every, everyone could swim there. You could swim if you were black or brown, that policy was accepted and it was the Supreme court said it was okay. And they went in and it was like a scorched earth policy. They went in and filled those pools, turned them into parks and white communities went to uh, other places to swim. And that uh, we've had this lack of resources and lack of facilities, and it's been it's it's been devastating. It's been devastating. And um, but the, what's interesting, if I if I ask Pierce, they have no they they don't know this history. It's like how would you not know this history when you yeah. hear it? It's it's rough. It's rough, but we have to confront it, right? We have to we have to acknowledge it. We have to say that it was rough in order to make the changes towards it. And, you know, I was just at a pool 
Uh, and uh, one of the, there was a story that was shared with us and it was talked about uh, up in Baltimore, not too far from where I'm at. I'm in Washington, DC for your listeners. Uh, I live outside of it. And uh, it was shared about Drew Hill Park and that they had this beautiful 50 meter pool in that community um, that was majority of a black population that lived there. And the pool, they sent us a picture and the pool looked like it had, it was a field, but you could still see the railings of the outside of the pool where somebody would have the ladder to get in the pool. And so we see that time and time again, uh, where pools have been, the funding for pools has been reallocated to other areas and other ventures um, that have less left these, what we have dubbed uh, diversity in aquatics, this, what we call aquatic deserts. Um, and it has created a space that we don't have that sense of community, right? Because pools are a center of community. Think about like when you're talking about like in North Carolina and the pools were open and how accessible it was, but it also created a sense of community, right? It was where you hung out with your friends. You had a summer job. It was where even if you didn't get in the pool, there was something cool happening around the pool. Right. That's how I grew up as well into that space. And I've been in different countries. I grew up in different countries, Germany and then here in the United States. And the pool was that melting pot for everybody uh, to engage in in different ways. And so that's what's been left without. And that's that's a part of us is acknowledging that. Right. And how do we change that? How do we change where we can create a space for aquatics to happen again? Because guess what? After COVID, it's rehappening. It's 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 history is repeating itself. All those funding dollars have been reallocated to different things. And now we are left without we're having a lifeguard shortage pools in especially black and brown um, and historically marginalized communities have been closed under the umbrella of COVID. And so uh, how do we repair that? And we have to look at history. We have to look at policy. We have to go deeper. And that's why we say we, we have to go deeper than the statistics to be able to solve it and to be able to create uh, solutions that really help and revitalize that in communities. And a lot of our members are doing that. And that's why we look to our members to tell us those answers. You are Dr. M. You have a PhD. Your PhD is in education, correct? In education, yes. And uh, I think I think that education is under attack. I think the truth is under attack mm-hmm. in this nation. And it feels it feels like it is now more than than in, in a very long time in history, I think it's always been that way, but it feels particularly uh, present. Yes. Is, is that is that something, I, I you know, this is your career. You must have a passion. If you get a PhD in education, you must be passionate about people learning and understanding so that they can make good choices going forward. Absolutely. I mean, in my realm, I've been a, in a part of education for 17 years now. Um, as I said, I traditionally did not come into education. I didn't study education at Howard. I had the fortunate um, opportunity to be a, I'm a business major. So we said the school of B at Howard, right? And I was an international business major with a concentration in information systems with a minor in German. So hello, my Howard introduction, right? You can see I can. Um, but 
uh, with that, because I came in through a non-traditional route into education, I always was asking the question, why? Why is it this way? Why is um, why can't we do these things? And uh, in my 17 years in education, uh, that was always for me to push my students on is to ask the questions around you to say, why is it this way? To be critical thinkers, right, in this space, no matter what space you are. Um, now I have the fortunate opportunity, not only do I wear the hat of executive director for diversity and aquatics and assistant volunteer coach for Howard University, but I also work full time with Fairfax County Public Schools. Um, and with that, I work with an amazing school called West Springfield High School out here in Fairfax County, and I work as a school based technology specialist. And in that realm, I work as a technology coach to support my 240 teachers. And uh, it is a privilege to do so, to be able to support them. But yes, you are right. They are under so much pressure from the outside uh, that it is, it's hard. The truth hurts. Let's be honest, right? There's that famous song, truth hurts. And that's where we are in history is that truth does hurt and some people take it under a personal attack. And rather than seeing, hey, what can I do to make things better and ask the question, why? Why is it this way? Why is it that we have such great disparities in this space? Why is it that we have the haves and the have nots in this space? And that's what education is trying to do, is trying to help our kids be great critical thinkers so that we can make a future that's better. And that's when my role to help support teachers do it through the best ways that they can under the umbrella of a technology. But in this space, we have to be open to the, the differing ideas because everybody comes to this space through a different lens and through a different experience. And for us, uh, that's why we, we want it to be very uh, monolithic. We want to not feel that we have done something wrong. Like just think about it. Like if somebody was like, Mel, you did this wrong. You'd be like, oh man, this, it feels like a little bit. And that's what's happening in this space. And I think we have to accept like, okay, I, it is wrong. Now, what do I need to do to fix it? And that's what's not being heard is that last part in the field of education. Yes. It's become a political football. It, yes. It's, it's, a, and let's not dance around it. It's, it's, a, we're not teaching. We, we, we can't teach history as, as we can't treat, we can't teach the facts and it's a, and it, there's definitely a slant and there's definitely a lot of things omitted, and it's. Uh, I grew up in the South, and I, you know, growing up in in North Carolina, I was taught that the Civil War was not the Civil War; it was an economic war, an economic war between the states, and uh, that was. That's not true. That's not, and that's it's one not. <laughs> you're absolutely the way the word play over the reality um, of what happened. Right. Yeah. And to understand even history books have changed. So how do you teach through a history book that only has one chapter of black history or black history or um, Hispanic heritage or uh, indigenous people's day is something that's a checkbox and not furthered down into understanding the 
the the struggles and the flight of of people in this country and of different populations and of of what they've gone through. Let me be honest, right? In my lifetime, my parents, um, God rest their souls, is that I remember stories my mother telling me like of true of her experience. We're only one generation. I am the first generation without Jim Crow laws. Those existed during my parents' generation. And thank goodness for what they were able to do to move things forward and the movement. But we're still experiencing that underlining because people, guess what, are still alive who were a part of that. And so that is that political football that you're talking about is that, well, it wasn't me. I wasn't that way. And those are those microaggressions that keep us still compartmentalized and not making the progress that's needed in this space. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. In the aftermath of George Floyd's murder, the, uh, everybody was up in arms. And, and when I talked to people that I respected people who identify as black and a mixed race, they were like, you know what? I'm, I'm glad you're outraged Mel, but, uh, where was your outrage five years ago, 10 years ago? Where was it when we were in college? And, uh, and that really just floored me. I was like, Ooh, Ooh, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's where we are right now. This is, here's, this is, I've, I've spent a lot of time with it. I think, I think it's shame. I think there's, excuse me, let's, let's be honest. It's white shame and that's overwhelming. And I think when people feel that they don't know what to do and that's not true. Mm-hmm. You, you can do things. You can be active. You can be in the process of becoming anti, you know, an anti-racist. Mm-hmm. You can be in the process of doing something in your community. You can be active and you can be aware. Mm-hmm. So it's not true and it's not overwhelming. You got you to set that down and start moving forward. Exactly. Diversity in aquatics, definitely a way to move. You can move toward diversity in aquatics. That Tell me, do, do you have something that where you, where you guys have achieved a success and you're like, we achieved this. I feel good about this. This is something that I hit my, my head hits the pillow at night and it's like, we did that. <laughs> I think you ratted off some of the stats earlier about what uh, I feel good about, but I still know there's forward movement that needs to happen. So, you know, it doesn't, when I put my head down, my board would laugh and others who are around me in my circle, it's not just like, okay, yay, we did this. It's like, okay, this was a step to get us to the next place and what needs to happen. And so, you know, reaching 1 million on International Water Safety Day, with the partners that we have, American Red Cross, the Zach Foundation, um, the University of Indiana Bloomington, who helped us to distribute those 1 million stickers, um, and uh, others who were in that space. Uh, I thank them for that. That was, that, was, that was one big, huge mark, right? Because our goal was that why does water safety have to be only by the pool? And why does it only have to be uh, those who are in aquatics to be the messengers of it. We all are interacting with water safety. And I'll, I'll give you my education lens is that we talk about car safety and not everybody drives a car, but we know what to do in, in a, in a, when we're in a car or around a car, et cetera. Why can't we have that same messaging when we're talking about aquatics and water safety? And so uh, with that, that was where we took off and said to reach those 1 million, working with school kids, working with the um, 
Miami-Day public schools, working with Fairfax County, working with a number of different organizations to help us make that one million mark. So that was one. Um, another one is for us, Diversity and Aquatics. We were the first um, convention that was solely based on DEI and celebrating DEI with all different aquatic entities. So people coming from USA Diving, USA Water Polo, um, coming from rowing, uh, all in this space where DEI is like one or two sessions at their conventions, but it was filled as a whole session during our conventions. Uh, this was our, last year was our 10th year of doing conventions. And we started off really small. Um, and grew and grew with partners like the AOAP, um, who we tied our convention to, to reach a larger platform. So it wasn't just a one-off or a two-off. It was the whole focused, where we didn't have to rattle off the stats because we all know the stats, where we could move forward from the stats on building solutions together. Are there ways that rowing could learn from diving or USA Swimming, who is also largely players present there? How could we work together um, towards making the changes we wanted to see in this space. And so that was our second thing that I was super proud of. Um, and now our third thing that we're working on right now is through historically Black colleges and universities, um, because we know they are the center point in many communities. Uh, and you asked me for some more stats. At the highlight of aquatics at HBCUs, um, there were about 21 different teams and uh, you had Albany State where um, Coach Tommy Jackson, uh, he swam with. And you have Texas Southern, which Coach Johnny Means had a huge program, a huge success program. Morehouse, Howard, uh, Cheney, um, where Coach Ellis went to. Hall of Famer Coach Ellis went to Cheney, first HBCU. We have a number of HBCUs who had strong aquatic programming. Um, but that tide changed to where we are now, right? And when I was swimming at Howard, we had only three. It was North Carolina and T, FAMU, and um, Howard University where I swam. And now there's just one Howard. And so that's our third initiative that I'm super proud of working in partnership with uh, USA Swimming on. But not only just USA Swimming, but we're also working at the American Red Cross on and uh, U.S. Masters. We just celebrated our first ever annual HBCU um, swim meet uh, that was sponsored by all three of those organizations, along with a number of local organizations that helped us to make it a success. And that's something that I'm, I'm super proud of, of what we've been able to move um, in those spaces. So those are the big three. But there's a lot of different ones in between just uh, from what we've been able to do is celebrate coaches. We've been able to give coaches their roses while they're here. We have an awards program that's not just one award for DEI. We have seven, <laughs> seven different awards to celebrate people who are doing amazing things in this space, because that is what we need to do to help carry that torch forward. It's not just a one person who's doing the work. There's seven different ones, all named for our founding board members and, um, and people who are doing amazing, um, who've done amazing foundations to us in this DEI. 
I'm just going to ask you, what, what do you need to do right now to, to, to be successful? What do you want, you know, but I, I think you covered it and you were referring to the HBCU, the celebration swim meet. Is that correct? Okay. We're going to drop in some B-roll and let you guys see that. Cause that looked, it looked awesome. Um, what's your horizon in 2023? Um, t- 2023, we're going to go beyond that. Uh, our biggest thing is that we realize that, uh, It takes a village even more. Our village has to get larger. So we're doing a huge fundraising effort on May 6th out in L.A. Uh, We've got quite a few members. We've been heavy in the East Coast and Central, but this is a chance on the West Coast and throughout L.A. and our board member, Stephanie Elam, who is an anchor for CNN, a correspondent for CNN, um, is heading up that effort. Uh, That way we can reach more people. Our goal is, again, like I said, Mel, in an earlier conversation, is that these are just checkpoints along the road for us to make that bigger difference. But we can't do it without fundraising. We can't do it without our membership helping us to get there. And that is what May 6 is, is to celebrate, um, come together as an aquatic family, but also fundraise so that we can help more people, more uh, organizations and uh more uh, entities to move the needle forward so that we can decrease the disparities in aquatics that we see today on all levels, participation, water safety, education, and in leadership. I'm very selfish on, on this topic and I'll explain why. Uh, There's a lot of emotions that are going on. Uh, One is that um, I've, it, for, for me, swimming was about achievement and success. Um, uh, Colin Jones is, you know, he's, he's a peer, Maritza Correa. She's a, she's a, she's, a, we're, these are mutual friends. And, and I, I know them through success. And uh, I look at our, our numbers at USC swimming and I see we have 1% that identifies black and 6% identifies mixed race. And I, that is so out of whack with what our nation looks like right now that, that I know that we're, that our sport is not going to be successful unless we are um, the com- competitive swimming side of it. And this is, you know, learning to swim is that first step. Uh, battling and you know, educating people so they know where we are and they get engaged and they're passionate about supporting this movement is, you know, these are big hills to climb. Mm-hmm. But for me, I'm looking at those stats and 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 I'm a little bit afraid because I I, I want us to be successful into the future. And and on and on top of those stats, we've had so much success from that tiny percentage of our population. So it's like, you think the roof is on fire and you're like, wait a minute. We have, we have, uh, we have a lot of opportunity and ability and for, for team USA to, to continue to be a world leader in aquatic sports. And I, as somebody who, who is a, who's been a record holder for nearly 20 years until you help someone break your own record. How does that land on you? Uh, you know, first off, uh, a lot of this work couldn't have been done without those names that you just mentioned. Um, and I think if you look at, you know, I was, ta- I'm going to pinch myself and even saying this, talking to Cullen um, about this. And what he was saying is that every person who has been on that Olympic team um, that has come from, that has shattered that statistic that we know out there has come home with a medal. Right. And uh, they are 
And it's the weight that comes on is not just being a successful athlete, but they're also a social justice advocate in this space. And if it wasn't for the Maritzas or the Cullens who feed into the fact that I can call them and say, hey, what do you think about this? And then pour back into what we are doing as an organization to move that needle forward, to change those statistics of what you see on the grassroots level uh, is so vital to what we are, where we are today. And for them to say, you know, for, for us to look at those statistics, it's daunting to say 1% and it doesn't look like what all America looks like. What we say is, okay, how do we make a change to do that? And as a team, that is what our goal is, is to make those changes and to say in this space, how can this, how can we work on that tier program from step one to being that next champion? Okay. Like them, how do we get more? And, and that's what is, that's what we're about and what we are doing and partnering, um, you know, big shout out to what Maritza is doing with SG row and swim 1922 and making the impact and part of that ripple effect. And what Cullen has been able to do with make a splash and more in that space is been the model had that we have, uh, that we have been using and that we have been, uh, a part of as well. There, there, there's, there's another uncomfortable piece here. And I just, I'm, you, you know, you're the executive director of diversity and aquatics, and uh, it's not your responsibility to, to tell me how to, how to, how to manage this. I feel uncomfortable with uh, I know how hard it is to be an Olympian mm-hmm. and I feel uncomfortable keeping responsibility on someone's shoulders. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's a lot. And I think in real time we've seen, um, we, we see what what happens, and uh, I think I just I think that in terms of just the pressure this, and the stress of being an Olympic athlete, and then on top of that, to to feel like you have to be a social justice leader is um, it just feels daunting. I mean, I'm 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 thankful that that we have somebody as athletes as charismatic as as Simone Manuel and Cullen Jones and Ritzer Correa, but it's. Uh, I, I I I want everyone to stand together, and 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 I want there to be a lot of support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what they've done. Uh, you know, they've they have the network within those who have been at that level. Uh, the fact you know that got connected to Byron Davis, right? Uh, Tanika Jamison, another huge giant into the space, um, and other Sabir Muhammad who came out of Atlanta. Uh, that network, they are uh, it's so important is the support, right? And uh, that is what for us at Diversity in Aquatics is to pre- create that umbrella. But they started it. They led that charge. And they have taken it and said, where are they? Where do we need to go forward? How can we use uh, what we've done to be the example or to create pathways? Um, going forward, because it, you're right, it's, it's not easy, but they wear that hat with 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 broad shoulders, right? They wear that crown with broad shoulders, and uh, they open those doors for these this work to be done. And it's not easy, but we've I've learned a lot from them being in this space, and uh, you know, it's just an honor to just continue the work alongside of them. 
there's a lot of grace and uh and i'm i'm always i'm i'm amazed they 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 they're they're a big inspiration and uh have i covered everything is there is there is there anything that you would you would like to talk about maybe that i didn't mention did i did i miss a, a piece of history or did a do you, do you have some stat you can pull out of your out of your swimming career uh, lots of different stats uh, as a researcher, but I think that one of the biggest things is just to say is that our work is to not make Howard the only one. Um, but not only that is to expand into Hispanic serving institutions, um, as well as indigenous serving institutions as well, because the work isn't just one folded or one uh, lane, it's all these lanes. Um, and uh, I would want to say for us at Diversity in Aquatics, uh, a big thank you to our members as well as our other leaders in this space, our aquatic councils. For us at Diversity in Aquatics, the way that you connect to us is not only just to us as a board, but you connect to our aquatic council leaders. Um, and our aquatic council leaders are in spaces like SCUBA, um, HBCUs, HSIs, and um, indigenous serving institutions, um, or what we, we would call uh, in the academic minority serving institutions, uh, swimming council and more, because they are the group that surrounds us and says what happens on the grassroots levels and where do we need to go forward. So I just, again, in this space, I share this space with them. Um, in the work that's been done. And I, we look forward to what we're about to accomplish in 2023. And Mel, you know, we'd love to have you out at our HBCU celebration meet. We already have the dates, December 15th and 16th at Morehouse in Atlanta. And so we'd love for everybody to come out, support that, um, and to celebrate with us all the different uh, pieces that make this celebration happen. Will Nick be there? I'm gonna call him. He should be there. If, if Nick goes, be. I you know, I like Nick a lot. It's amazing. If, if, if Nick is there, I think I think that we have to be there. But it's not a requirement. I'm just just asking for a friend. Well, here's a quick story. And you said if there's anything else, uh, just to talk about our the Howard connection. Nick was my captain when I was a freshman at Howard. Right. <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's good. That, that I like that. I like that. And um, Salim, the other assistant coach, was my sophomore year. He was a captain at Howard. And one thing, you know, I'm super proud of what Nick has done at the Howard program and what he has been the forward, um, the forward star, the, the North Star in what is happening there at Howard. Uh, for us at, who are all Howard graduates, it is pouring back into a program that meant so much to us. Right. And Nick is at the helm of that. And it is every day I'm on deck is like bringing on deck with my brothers in a sense. And uh, that's the atmosphere we've created for our swimmers and our divers. Uh, coach Cornet, who's our dive coach, uh, is also a Howard grad. And he was there. Uh, my my roommate, uh, Lauren Bean, now uh, was a diver and that was her coach. And so just to have that full circle moment. And to be in this space together to see it fully tangible and realized is quite amazing. And uh, very much kudos to my big brother, Nicholas Askew, for leading the way and allowing me to be a part of that uh, this journey with him. 
We've been listening to Dr. M, Dr. Miriam Lynch. She is the Executive Director of Diversity and Aquatics. Go to diversityandaquatics.org, read the mission statement, dive into that website. You can see donate across that header. You can click on that and you can donate. And if you're looking at this through swimswim.com on a post, we're going to give you uh, a few links to donate in our show notes. I am Mel Stewart. Many thanks to our sponsor, Speedo, for coming in and supporting us. And Dr. M, when you reach a new milestone, new benchmark, you got to be like, hey, let's have another conversation. Absolutely. All the time. And definitely. Thank you so much. And thank you to Speedo for this opportunity and you as well with Swim Swam. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swim podcasts on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.